to the Sean Morgan Report. This is an exclusive interview with Lieutenant Colonel Steve Murray. We are uh, posting this on Rumble live for everyone to interact and ask questions and so forth. And then it's going to be only for premium subscribers on Locals for 24 hours. So, Steve, you know, uh, it's been a little while since we had a chat. I wanted to see where you're at right now with your uh, with your civic engagement, because I know you care about our country, you care about your community, you want to do something, and uh, you're a military guy, so you actually get out there, boots on the ground, and you you get engaged. So what are you up to now? So uh, <laughs> there's so much going on. So I still, my team and I are still actively engaged in um, watching the events of not only what Katie Hobbs is doing in the in the government, Adrian Fontes and the group that was illegitimately elected here, but we're also watching what's going on with the IGAs that you and I talked about in the last uh, the last interview we did, as well as what's happening at the border. People don't realize that the border is a is a bigger issue than they think. But after November eighth, I told pretty much everybody in the political establishment here that if this doesn't go the right way, we're going to play all the way through, first of all. So we'll play all the way through and see how things turn out. But if it doesn't go the right way, I'm going to refocus my entire platform to nothing but resistance because the situation on the ground at that point is going to be untenable. And I don't mean untenable in the sense that we're we're going to lose the farm, but untenable in the sense that we're not going to have the ability to take the country back through legal means and the court system if this election doesn't go the right way. So with that said, after November 8th, I, I disengaged from the political establishment here, and I've been solely focused on educating people on, on what I call line of sight and sphere of influence. And essentially that's strengthening your community and building your community for the sake of any kind of contingency. And what, what I've been talking about on my channel for the last six months now is really what does it look like if Sri Lanka happens here? What 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 do people do? Where do they go? What should you be focused on? So Sri Lanka, rolling blackouts, don't have fuel, don't have necessities. Right. They run the resources out and they run the logistical train the, the logistical systems to the point of non-functioning, which is exactly what they did in Sri Lanka. And then they want to issue a QR code and then ration everything. There's no coincidence to what we're seeing right now. The you mean like the train derailments and the, the chemical the fires and all that production stuff? Plants. There's three effects for that, right? You've heard me talk about second and third order effects related to incidents like this. So in this case, it's not just the derailment that's the issue or the chemical spill. It's the secondary effects of in, of toxifying the water table and the food chain. And then there's the disruption to the supply chain because that rail line is now unusable for several months. So they have to use alternate alternate rail systems to move the same goods and services that they would move across that line in, uh, in lieu of that. And now with all yeah. of these other derailments, the question really becomes how many other water tables have been affected by this? How many other food chains yeah. have been affected by this? And what's the impact of the logistical system and the movement of goods and services? And really, they got away with it. So what's stopping them from doing it again in a different area, right? And, and the other thing is when they attack, they, <laughs> whoever they are, whenever there's an attack to our infrastructure, let's say a five-acre 
production facility in Kissimmee, Florida goes up in flames, how long does it take to bring another thing like that back online? Right. It takes a long time to, to build uh, that. 36 up. months. Yeah. It's not a, it's, there's not a zero sum deal with any of this, right? But the moment you take away one capability, you have to replace that capability and it takes time, right? Cause it's not just the building, it's the tooling, it's the raw materials, it's the resources, it's the, the shipping of things in and out of there to make that finished product. And most people don't have any idea what it takes for food production in this country or what it takes to move finished food products to the store in a timely manner. I mean, our whole system for the last 40 years has been a just-in-time system to where goods and services arrive at the store just as they need them versus building these huge stockpiles, which is what we did after World War II and prior to World War II, right? We had warehouses of strategic stockpiles of medical equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the problem with doing that model, which is why we switched to the just-in-time model, is that you have aging equipment, aging supplies that over time you have to throw them away and then restock that because that's either obsolete or it's past its usable period. So that's why we got away from that. Well, the problem is now we don't produce anything. So most of our production, the only thing we produce in this country legitimately is food. And we do a very, very good job of farming. We're, we're, we're some of the best in the world along with Europe, but you take away the fertilizer input into that, which fertilizer is another issue that people aren't even talking about right now. And you add an issue with water to where you can't plant crops because the water's toxic. Then you have a recipe for mass famine. And that's not even talking about the logistical system that goes around that. Right. So now they've taken out the logistical system. They've affected the water supply for, I think 11 States. That's a significant deal. Nobody's talking about it. And, the other question you got to ask yourself is why didn't FEMA step in there immediately after? Why are they why are they dragging their feet? I can tell you why. It's because all of the communists that are in the federal government right now have absolutely no problem killing off everybody in the flyoff state the flyover states because they consider them the the dregs of society because they're all, you know, domestic terrorists in their minds. So well, that's how you get away with a false flag or, or one of these types of operations, right? You you have to take care of the oversight, the the Shapiros in Pennsylvania, the DeWines in, in Ohio, whoever is in charge and, and is willing to sign off on this and, and not investigate and, and look the other way and scapegoat uh, other people. This is years in the making. Um, when I think about uh, Warren Buffett buying up all of the uh, the railroad lines over the years and and Bill Gates buying up the farmland. We were talking before the show about uh, BlackRock buying up uh, all the houses and stuff in our country. So this is years in the making, but it, it really is go time right now, isn't it? When when these things they've been planning, uh, it's all supposed to be a barrage of attacks from here and accelerate on out. Don't you think that once you pull the trigger and, and initiate this, that it just accelerates, it doesn't slow down? Well, so you and I talked before this, right? We, we, the conversation is really around if they accelerate, then what? Versus they're going to accelerate and we can't do anything about it. The, the thing that people need to latch into is that it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. You're talking about a group of oligarchs that are psychopaths that have been planning for years to depopulate the planet. And 
you got to let that sink in because it's not conspiracy anymore. This is the real thing. These people are really trying to kill off a significant portion of the population. At the same time, they're trying to drive people from the country into these smart cities. None of that's going to work out for them because there's one thing that they, just like the communists, there's one thing that they never, ever get right. And that is they always underestimate the resolve of the American people. They always underestimate the resolve of a few pissed off Marines. You know, there's a reason why people say that. It's because Americans are, if you look at us prior to World War II, prior to World War II, we were isolationists. We didn't want any part of the European war. We, we were sick of European politics. We didn't want any kind of a protracted conflict where we had to sacrifice. Look at where we are now. We're exactly in the same place. We just got out of a 20-year war. People don't trust the system. They don't like politicians. They don't trust the media. They don't trust what they're hearing from any any of the influencers that are in the mainstream or in the mainstream uh, social media. So they're looking for a source of truth. And they want somebody to tell them what to do and how to do it and when to do it, right? Because they're seeing all these things happen to their country. And the problem is they don't know what to do. And there's a leadership vacuum and, and people thought to themselves when the election was stolen, the thing to do is to show up on the day that Donald Trump sh- told me to show up and protest. And over a million people did. And then the few people uh, who, who were in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, had uh, were targeted by their own government and, and intimidated and held without bail and all this stuff. So there's a chilling effect. And now people are you know, they're kind of afraid to to engage and to resist publicly, at least. And they're waiting for someone to step in and say, hey, this is what to do, right? A yeah, leader, a general. Yeah. So for the last six months, this goes back to what you asked me what I was working on. For the last, you know, six months, I've been working on educating people on sphere of influence and line of sight, right? Because one of the things that, that our country is exceptional at, and one of the things that carried us through World War One, World War II, and Korea is our communities. You know, people have forgotten history. And when we went into World War II, we had small communities that were banding together, building liberty gardens, you know, rationing things, and sharing resources. And we did that for four years to support the war effort. And people did without things in order for the soldiers on the ground to actually have the tools and the, and the equipment that they needed. We've forgotten that part of our society. And that's, that's where people need to focus right now is strengthening your community. And what I, one of the things I say routinely is disconnect to connect, disconnect from technology, go make human connections in your community, reestablish at your church or your, your place of worship and start surrounding yourself with people that you can trust, you can count on, that understand you and have a moral compass that is grounded in yeah. selfless service and grounded in that's a real moral, trust. That's yeah. someone who got your back when the shit hits the fan. So this is resilience. Uh, and, and there's probably a lot of different types of resilience. You're talking about social resilience, right? You're talking about different skills that, that your social connections have that can help you and you can help them. And right. uh, you guys have your own little mini economy. economy. Yeah. Uh, what about the, uh, water, food, energy, things like that. So again, that's another part that we've forgotten, right? Is that one of the one of the trademarks 
and the hallmarks of our country is ingenuity. When the power grid fails, you're going to have electricians. You're going to have guys that work in solar. You're going to have people that work on engines in your community that can build generators and things ad hoc with what you have laying around. And that's that's what I mean by you want to build a sphere of influence with people with capabilities that you can trust that are willing to work together for the for the greater good, right? So part of that is you want to have everybody should have a couple of weeks worth of food and water on hand. As as much as you can afford and as much as you can store, you should be doing that anyway, right? Just for contingencies. I'm talking about long term because over time, you can only store so much food, you can only store so much water, and you can only store so much ammo. And ammo's really heavy. So you want to store things that you that you have you know on hand, but then you have to work together as a community for long term because war is right. a marathon. We're we're in a marathon right now. We are not yeah. in a sprint. This is going to be even if we started today, even if we stormed the Capitol and arrested everybody there and took them to Gitmo, it's going to take 10 years for us to unwind all the damage they have done across this yeah. country to the political system, to the infrastructure, to the society, and then not just not just that, but to the information space. I mean, they have culturally shifted our entire country in the better part of four years. And it's going to take just as long to unbrainwash people as it generation. took to brainwash them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing that I get hit with all the time is people are asking me, why aren't we kicking in doors? And my first question is always, whose door are you going to kick in first? And then where does it stop? You, right. the, the, what they've done exceptionally well for the last 10 years, and I, I blame uh, Barack Obama for this, Barry, is that they put everybody into buckets, right? You're a white male. You're a white female. You're a heterosexual male. You're a heterosexual female. You're a homosexual male. You're a homosexual female. You're transgender. You're, you're a minor attracted person or a pedophile. They put you into all these different buckets, and then they start pitting the buckets together. So we're so busy fighting each other that we've forgotten what we have in common. And yeah. I, was in, I was in Washington, I think it was last August or September. I was up visiting my kids, and I was in a Home Depot. And this gal from me, the pink hair, she's got her partner right there. And they were talking about what they were seeing in the news. And I don't remember how the conversation started. I just remember saying that, you know, you and I are not that different. And I said, what's your definition of family? And she said, well, my friends and my, you know, my siblings and my family. I go, that's my definition too. I said, when you distill out all the noise and you get to that, your community is just the same as mine. It's just your belief system is a little bit different. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's different. That doesn't mean I can't embrace it and support it. It just means it's different. But it's been weaponized to make you believe that because I don't believe that, I'm a bad person. I want to destroy that. That's the effect. Divide and conquer. That, yeah. that, that was the goal. And, and so, and I see this on, on in our movement on our side. I know that Trump does a good job of keeping everybody under one tent, but uh, there are people, and I, I feel that I'm even more conservative leaning than, than President Trump on abortion and different things. Uh, but people in our movement, the MAGA movement, the conservative movement, uh, have a tendency to, to also bicker amongst these different categories. 
I've seen between age groups. Uh, I've seen people who aren't conservative enough. People are turning on uh, President Trump uh, right now. Uh, you know, they're just like, who, who's their replacement? I don't know who it is. Uh, but, you know, I think that's that's right what you're saying. I mean, we can still stay true to our beliefs. We can still say, hey, you know, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to endorse that. But when we're talking about communities, which I think that's kind of your point here, people who are living next to you, the people who uh, are around you, uh, it's good to be, uh, I hate the word inclusive, but it's good to uh, be a giver and reciprocate and create that those community bonds and, and that resilience in your own, your own community. Yeah, because unity is the hill we die on, right? That the, the end state that the elite are trying to reach, and we're talking about a very small micro set of the entire population, they want to depopulate the planet and then put everybody under this authoritative rule that's run by a social scoring system. And they want to they want to basically control every part of your life under the guise of climate emergency. And p- if people just realized that all the noise from not just the political spectrum, but the noise from social media was just that it was noise. We wouldn't. We would be able to unite as a country. We we would definitely unite as a truth movement in the community, but we would unite as a, as a country and a planet. And you're right. That leadership's missing. Trump's Trump's a lot of things, but he's not. And, and the, I, this pisses people off every time I say it. But it's true. He's not dynamic and articulate enough to be able to convince the other side of the fence. I mean, if you look at look at Obama, look what Obama did when he came to office in 2008. It was the best information operations campaign I've ever seen. He got grassroots people. The, the hope, him. the hope posters oh, and yeah. everything. And <laughs> it was the best. It was the best information warfare campaign I've ever seen. But he literally had the entire planet rooting for him. They didn't realize he yeah. was a flaming communist CIA asset that belonged to China. However, comma. He, the the folks that ran that campaign knew exactly how to unite the planet and to get people from the grassroots. And they leveraged the, the, the weariness from the conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan to energize the base. And they knew that Hillary Clinton is the same problem with Hillary Clinton, right? She doesn't energize people. She just, she yeah. either, she's, she's so polarizing. Trump's polarizing yeah. too. Look, I like Trump. I like the fact that the guy, he literally wanted to do the right thing in office and he put the American people first. You can't, you can't beat the guy for that. Right. But he's just not dynamic enough to be the, the, the person to stand up and say, this is what we need to be doing. And what I'm it's trying interesting, to he, he's positioning himself as a possible peacemaker with the Ukraine situation. I wonder what it would take to get the, the people who were brainwashed to think orange man bad for, for a decade here <laughs> or half a decade uh, or more to to actually think, you know what? I like Trump. I would vote for him when when they they hated him before. You want to know how that happens? I'll tell you exactly how it happens. You show the planet the doomsday tapes from the Epstein Island of yeah. rich people and elite raping children, and I guarantee you they will they will cheer Donald Trump going back to office. Because that, that is a, an important narrative that's that's on the back burner that that could come to the fore. You know, I keep hoping for it, but, you know, and I've had this conversation before. Everybody says, well, how do we unite the whole planet? And it's always the same answer. 
show them the doomsday tapes of what they've done to children. And I guarantee you that the entire planet will look at that and go, no. And there, there will not be one leader on this planet left alive after those tapes are shown. That is, that is plutonium. And they all know it. It's like this January 6th stuff with McCarthy. You know why McCarthy doesn't want to give up the tapes? Because he's implicated in it. That's why. He gave it to Tucker so they could do a controlled release. Come on, dude. Everybody sees So, so that, that's your perspective on Elon Musk and the Twitter files, too. So this is interesting to, to talk about, the idea of a limited hangout uh, with both of these things. Because they can't just let it be as it was and everything's covered up. There's too much of a demand for transparency. So you're you're saying that it's possible that they can kind of, you know, sprinkle some bread and circus for, for the peasants and say, hey, here's your transparency. But in reality, they're not they're not really being transparent. Well, let's use let's use Twitter as an example, because of the great segue, by the way, I forgot we talked about that before the show. The Twitter, Twitter was the cultural narrative for 10 years. And Twitter became the de facto town square. And the intelligence agencies had complete control of what you saw, what conversations were there. The shadow banning allowed them to tailor the conversations so that it looked, even with AI, it looked like people were having a conversation. And over time, you read enough of it, you believe it, right? The whole Elon Musk thing is a ruse to draw people back to the, the, the platforms, the legacy social media platforms, so they can establish and reestablish control of the cultural narrative. And this, if you just so look you're at saying the, that that thing was that was a powerful machine for controlling the narrative, but then a lot of people left, and then it was a useless machine, and so they want to yeah. bring people back into that that uh, narrative control machine. Yeah, I mean, if just look at the acquisition process, right? When you acquire a company, you do all of the due diligence, you do all of the activities behind the scenes. You don't announce anything in the public space until the ink's dry and the deal is done. And then you announce it to the public. Hey, Twitter got a, got acquired by Elon Musk, but it didn't go down that way. He Plus, was he trying to buy at the top? I don't understand that part. <laughs> no, it was just a show. Every bit of that was drama because the American people are sucked into the drama. They're sucked into the story. They're stuck in the, the, the intrigue. The Twitter drops is a controlled release. Everyone knew. The FBI and the CIA were involved in Twitter. Everyone. But I don't know if the normies knew. <laughs> they, they, everybody knew. Everyone knew. It was common knowledge in, in San Francisco. It was one of the best known secrets in the city, in the Silicon Valley. And the, the part that kills me is that people are like, well, Elon Musk is a savior. No, he's not. He's an oligarch that is funded by China and controls one of the biggest satellite networks around the planet. And you're telling me this guy is the best. Uh, why do you think he's controlled by China? I'm not trying to disagree with you. I just he's never heard heavily, he, he is heavily funded by China. Heavily. And what do you go mean? Look his at companies? His companies, that the acquisition was heavily funded by companies that are front companies for China. Yeah, go look, go follow the money and you'll see what I'm talking about. But there's a bigger aspect to this than just him acquiring Twitter. Imagine the fact that he has control of Starlink, which is one of the biggest internet providers on the planet and has reached globally. And then you add control of the biggest cultural narrative site on the planet. 
and turn it into WeChat, which he says he wants to do. Which so then it's going to be uh, competing with the global currencies. But think about it this way: WeChat is the Chinese version of Twitter on steroids, right? Social can credit. Do, you can do everything through it. Imagine having the satellite network to control who gets to use it, who doesn't get to use it, and all of the terrestrial infrastructure on the planet is destroyed. So all you have is internet. Yeah. Guess what? He decides who's on and who's off. It sounds a lot like the Chinese. Yeah, the centralization of, of power is scary. I mean, I, I guess I'm a dissident because I've been deplatformed from PayPal and Venmo and Patreon and these different financial processors. And, and it's hard to participate in modern life uh, with these types of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making it work for now, but they just think if they accelerate that and they take it another step and they shut down my bank account, like how am I supposed to to live in the, in the modern world? It'd be impossible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that horse. he's a Trojan horse, man. That's all he is. And, uh, and look, I don't trust oligarchs anyway, because I've, I've worked for him. I've worked with him and I've worked around him. And Bill Gates is the quintessential example of somebody who's completely lost touch with reality. You listen, first of all, he was in education, gave us Common Core. Then he was in pharma, gave us the vaccines. Now he's in food production and he's trying to, and it's not just food production. It's not just Take farming. Meat, he's, in, he's in protein. He's in, he's in um, growing. He's in distribution. He's in manufacturing and production. I mean, he's not just buying land. He's he's it's across the spectrum. And what does he want to do? He wants to inject mRNA vaccines into the protein as well as into our food chain. Well, now, when you add to it that the, the water supply is tainted with heavy chemicals and persisted chemicals, you have a recipe for a massive die off. And this reminds me of Warren, Warren Buffett buying up the railroads, because another thing that the Bill Gates bought up uh, is the Internet infrastructure. And so that's what they're doing. They're trying to buy up this infrastructure so they can have operational control of it and they can sabotage it, I guess, um, because Warren Buffett pledged his entire, you know, one of the biggest fortunes in the world, all of it to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. His number one philanthropic issue he believes in is abortion. So that's what they, uh, they're, they're, they're in the same club there. Well, they're, they're all Luciferians, right? They're, they're whole th and. Get away from the the oligarch side of it, though. the 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 point that I was reaching for initially is the fact that all of the things that we've seen with Twitter, all the things we've seen in the in the mainstream media, it's all a show. There's not one part of it that's real, and the whole point of it was to lure people back to Twitter and get off a of truth, get off a of Telegram, get off a of BitChute and Rumble. And bring people back to legacy platforms because the intelligence agencies own them. And the moment we do that, we're back into the social scoring system again. And that's what they want. They want to control the infrastructure, the food, everything, so that you don't work, you don't move, you don't eat, you don't do anything unless you follow the rules that they set. And that's this is all just a ruse to get people to sign up for it. And Thank God Trump hasn't gone back to Twitter yet. I mean, yes, yeah, his account's been unblocked, but I don't think he's been back and posted. No, he hasn't. If he has, then, you know, shame on him. But if it were up to me, I would let Twitter die. I would let Facebook die. I would let Google die because they're all, they're all communist organizations run by the communists in D.C., and they all just need to go away.
And the, well, you talk about uh, social media companies dying. Uh, it's this is, you know, news that they want to shut down TikTok in America. They uh, Republicans and conservatives want to shut down even some Democrats talking about it as well. So uh, and you've talked about China several times. Uh, can you talk about TikTok? Can you talk about uh, China's tentacles and all of this and how they may or may not be on the same side as the globalists here? Well, I don't ultimately. I don't think that China has a vested interest to deal with the Davos crowd. The the Davos crowd, and again, you and I talked about this beforehand, right? So the the eggheads that are in Strat Four and all these these think tanks that brief all these guys in Davos, they all have their and they're all academics, right? If you've heard me say this before, I'll say I know you heard me say this, but I'll say this again. You never put academics in charge of anything operational because it turns to a goat rope circus the moment you do that because they don't have to do anything. They have these ethereal thoughts. They write papers. They high five each other and give each other awards at the end of every quarter. But they don't know how to do anything. They're not builders. They're academics. And the fact that he Zihan and the rest of these guys have been walking around telling Davos that Russia's culture is going to collapse and China's culture is going to collapse. It's all nonsense. You're talking about cultures that have been on this planet for 5,000 years. Give me a break, right? The, the point that the Davos guys depart from reality is this mindset that they're going to control China and it's just going to collapse and they're just going to march in there and take over. I, I don't see that happening. I see China going through another transformation away from communism once it finally fails. And it will fail because communists are great at infiltration, but they suck at complex operations. And they may get lucky a few times, but sustained long-term, what did we see in the Soviet Union? We saw a system over time crumbling under its own paranoia, crumbling right. under its own corruption. And that's what we're seeing in China. The two main guys that are next to Xi hate each other. What happens if Xi dies of an illness or worse, dies of COVID? Those two guys are going to be fighting it out, which means China will be in chaos for decades until those guys are killed off. So I see that happening long before I ever see a cultural collapse in China. And then when you when you start looking at the Davos crowd and what their plan is, their plan is to depopulate the planet, put everybody in these smart cities, and then dictate how everybody lives. Yeah, I don't see that working out for them either. Because the one thing that they always seem to forget is the American people. And they always forget about the American people are resilient too, right? So the way this is going to play out is this Ukraine thing is going to be driven to a culmination point by Putin. He has 1.5 million troops. Good luck trying to oppose that when you don't have the logistical trains to fight for longer than a couple of weeks or the ammo, right? So European and Millie and all those guys, they can say whatever they want to say. Yeah, Putin's done, blah, blah, blah. The one thing that they're discounting is the week after the Russians moved into Ukraine, the Ukrainian army could not move in any kind of a formation or a battalion-sized element. Otherwise, there was bombs, drones, or aircraft on their head. And it's just a matter of time before Putin takes the areas he needs to take and the place capitulates. He's not going to go all the way to Poland. He doesn't have a vested interest to do that. He's going to drive it to a culmination point so that the Ukrainian government collapses under its own weight, and then he's going to release all the information he took out of Chernobyl and all the biolabs to the rest of the world. He's already released a lot of it, and it yeah. already shows that they've been running 
these bio labs through Defense um, Threat Reduction Agency for the past 10 years. I don't, you know, barring the doomsday tapes, I don't, I don't see how um, anybody still believes anything comes out of the mainstream media, but uh, that's why yeah, it's, it's hard to, for me to envision uh, the Ukraine conflict ending up in uh, Ukraine getting more support than it has now, you know, recruiting Americans to fight over there. I don't, I just, they don't have the support. Uh, in, I mean, they can keep sending money over there to basically uh, go straight to the oligarchs and everything. Um, and they can waste, waste different uh, munitions there that, that don't end up being utilized correctly. Uh, I just don't see it uh, being, there'd have to be some kind of uh, a sucker punch or, or something uh, to try to get some kind of uh, maybe a nuclear conflict or, or some kind of uh, PR conflict. You know, but basically this has been a PR war the whole time. They've been saying from the very beginning that Putin's lost and Putin's losing and uh, Russia doesn't know what they're doing and they're failing as they're taking over nuclear power plants and, and so forth uh, and, and taking territory. So Putin could stop today and it would be a win. I mean, they'll say that Putin lost because he stopped fighting or he didn't accept an agreement or whatever, but he'd have all of this new territory and so forth. Um, but going back to China, uh, and, and this is, relates to Russia too. It's interesting how domestically in their own country, uh, they don't allow the feminization of men. They don't allow uh, this CRT and this divisive stuff in their own country. China certainly uh, pushes it on, on the American society and TikTok and different things uh, and different campaigns. Uh, but internally, they're doing everything they can to uh, keep their own sovereignty, identity, cultural identity, racial identity, uh, and, and family values and all those things. Uh, do you want to comment on that? Well, who does it benefit for us to be wrapped up in that narrative, right? It benefits Russia, it benefits China, and it destabilizes us, right? Just like China is behind all the fentanyl that's being pushed into our country right now. They have Chinese regulars, regular army that is guarding fentanyl um, processing plants down in Mexico as we speak. So they have a vested interest to see we're just destabilized. I, there's a number of different scenarios you can play out of this, but it boils down to one thing and one thing only. The Chinese want to destabilize us because they want to be the dominant um, country on the planet. They want to be the superpower. So destabilizing us and deconstructing our, um, not just our infrastructure, but deconstructing our culture is beneficial for them because it will take us, like we said earlier, it's going to take us decades to unwind this, even if we start. So it's kind today. of like a, a loose alliance with the Davos crowd where they both are on the same idea of dividing us and conquering us and destabilizing us. I would say that the Davos crowd has made commitments to Xi Jinping through Belt and Road and, and through loans and through debt that they're they're playing out right now. But I also believe that they're arrogant enough to think that they're just going to deal with the Chinese once they've consolidated power. And they clearly have never studied history or looked at what happens after a communist regime takes over in a country. They kill off everybody that was a useful idiot. I mean, it's literally fact. Go look at what they did to Trotsky. He was in a different country and they executed him. Give me a break. That's the, the, my, again, this goes back to the, the eggheads in all these think tanks that are, are, pushing out all these narratives that are just not based on reality that 
I think China has a vested interest to destabilize the entire Western world because then he can he can establish the yuan and the digital currency that China has as the dominant currency, and everybody has to follow suit. If you if you listen to Tom Luongo, he talks about LIBOR and I can't remember the name the other name of the system, but the London um, interbank exchange rate. We've been we have literally been beholden to LIBOR and the, the European exchange rates for decades. And we're switching off of that in June, right? Decoupling from the European dollar, the Euro dollar. And it behooves China to destabilize us before that happens, because then the US dollar will collapse with the Euro and he can he can come in and be the, the reserve currency. Every bit of this revolves around who's going to be the reserve currency for the planet. And if China is a reserve currency, that's bad for everybody in the Western world. And look, nobody in the Western world, I don't care if they're globalists, if they're client not, climate Nazis, I don't care who they are. Nobody wants China to be in charge. They don't want Xi Jinping in charge. But you have all these card-carrying Maoists that have compromised their country and, and committed treason against this country because they believe in the communist doctrine. And it's not sustainable. So we're going to see turmoil. We're going to see the collapse of the dollar. We're going to see the collapse of the markets. And that's why goes back to what I started saying the very start of the show is that it's going to it's going to come down to the community level again in the US that's going to carry us through and when this is all said and done and all this crap is done there's three things that are going to come out of this one we're going to be a stronger country number two we're going to get back to the 1871 constitution and number three we're going to go make sure that the communist the communist regime in China is destroyed and never comes back again they will never be able to do the, the damage they've done to the planet once this is all over. But it's going to take a lot of hard people to do that. And that's what you're seeing happening right now. As people run out of resources, you're going to see people get really hard really quick. And that's why unity is the hill we're going to die on. If we don't unify as a country and start working together, we're going to fall. We'll be a Chinese satellite. And, and I don't see that happening, but, you know, stranger things have happened these days. It is. It's like a battle for the whole pie. It's like all or nothing for all these different groups and, and, and the, the Euro, the Davos crowd or the Euro, European uh, oligarchy. They want everything and the Chinese want everything. And I guess there's uh, there might be a positive side of the Americans uh, that, that maybe still want uh, global dominance. I don't know. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about the idea. You were talking about Peter Zahan and these uh, academics who think that the Chinese civilization is going to collapse because of their demographics or whatever. Uh, and, and you were t playing out the idea, okay, you know, they're, they're, they want to be the dominant superpower. Uh, but you think ultimately that uh, West versus East, the West would win here. Uh, what, what would happen to China if that happens, you know, the end of communism and the beginning of something else? Yeah. I see China ultimately, I see the communist, the communist model dying ultimately and a, a more democratic society coming out of that. Because look, if you look at the rank and file Chinese citizen, they, they want what everybody else wants, right? Nice house, nice card. They want to be able to live their life and they don't want to be harassed by the government. They don't want to be controlled by the government. They want to enjoy their life. And they, they want to be able to live their life without having to go through a bunch of gates to do things, right? 
ultimately when that system fails, the Chinese people are not going to want another communist regime, right? This, this notion the elite have that everybody wants to be ruled, right? You see it in all these different shows and movies. Like it's in the, it's in Avengers at the first Avengers, right? Where Loki's standing there in front of a crowd, makes them all kneel and says, isn't this your natural state to be ruled? That's how these people think. And that's, that's what they've literally spent decades trying to architect here. But the thing that they've forgotten is the one thing that makes us as a society, us as a culture, the strongest on the planet. It's that we instinctively feel, believe. We're the opposite of that. <laughs> we believe that we can self-rule and we don't need someone over us. And I was talking about Americans when I say we. Um, I'm living in Brazil. I've been living in Brazil for five years here. And is completely different society. When I uh, shake someone's hand, uh, when I shake a man's hand in, in Brazil, I, I always get this sense like they're they're willing to submit. It's the weirdest thing uh, because they still have a type of feudal society here, uh, like they had under the Portuguese, where the the rich landowners uh, had control over the the various peasants and slaves from. Uh, all over the place, Africa and the Indians and all, all these things. It's just the 1% and then the, the slave class. And it's really still like that today here. And, and people here, they still wear masks. I mean, they were totally just on board to just submit to the government. Whatever the government says to do, just do it. Just get the vax, just wear a mask. They didn't have the type of resistance, even with a nationalist president like Bolsonaro questioning the whole pandemic narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't have massive people uh, resisting that. Now, they, they do have a truckers movement. Uh, they're still resisting globalism. So there, there is something going on. It's not like it's not present. But I have to say, I never realized how different Americans are. I had to travel to 30 different countries to realize that this concept of sovereignty, self-sovereignty, uh, independence, uh, ingenuity, all these things you were describing before is uniquely American. And it is Our why we won't here. lose. Yeah, that's why everybody it's, it's why we won't lose this. Plus, we have the great demographics and great resources and, and all the other stuff that Peter Zahan talks about. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're right. We need to focus on resilience. Anything else you want to do to get back to that point as we wrap up the conversation about what that looks like on the ground, making those connections, building those alliances and becoming resilient in so many different ways? Right now, the biggest thing people can be doing is making connections in their in their physical environment and human connections, which is face-to-face -face and reestablishing community. That's the first thing they can do and the best thing they can do. As things develop over time, it's going to be those relationships that you can rely on when things get tough. And it'll be those relationships that help you come up with creative solutions to problems, right? I, I often reference in my situation reports a book called Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. And one of the premises of his, because he, so he does a whole case study in all these different extreme survival situations where people have come out of it, right? The one thing he says in every, in all scenarios that's common is that the first thing that people do in a deep survival situation is they accept the situation they're in and then they start making decisions, right? Americans have been taught that somebody's going to come save the day. Somebody else is going to do it. We have to save ourselves. We have to come together. We have to be ing ingenious and think outside the box and outthink these people.
because yeah. they have the resource and we're, we're fighting a machine. We're not fighting a few oligarchs. This is a machine that has been built over decades and it's not going to go quietly into the night. We have to outthink, yeah. outplay and outmaneuver these guys. And we have to do it as a community. Otherwise, you might as well just raise your hands because there's no so, so creating security uh, kind of the word militia is has the wrong connotation nowadays but the uh, that has always been a thing you know the posses the the militias just the groups of guys in a neighborhood or a community who get together and say you know we're not going to allow lawlessness and people to mm-hmm. take advantage and take property and all these things we're going to make sure that people are protected and so forth uh, is that an aspect of uh, what you do? Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're you're talking about the holistic society. Let's just think of the old West, right? Communities, even wagon trains, they had to provide their own security, their own logistics, their own maintenance, their own, their own um, support. They had to do it all themselves. And whatever they took with them, that that's what they had. And it's going to be that kind of a scenario all over again if if the the elite are allowed to get what they want, which is destruction of logistics, destruction of the supply chain. They're going to get all of that, and it's going to it's going to come down to local communities protecting each other and working together to survive it, right? And maybe it doesn't get that bad, but the 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 strength of community is not just in security and safety and and um, peace of mind. It's you're going to have other people to vet things off of. Like when they roll out the social scoring system, you're going to have somebody in your community that says, this is what they're trying to do. Don't sign up for this. Yeah. We can do it's this an intelligence way. network too, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all those things, right? It's not just think of it as a mini nation within, within a nation. Right. And then you, you branch out and you start bringing other people into your, into your community. And guess what? Then it's a city. Then after you build a city, then you build a, a state, et cetera. Right. That's, that's how we come out of this. We're not going to come out of this as individuals. Yeah. In that and, and I didn't mean to throw uh, Brazil under the bus earlier. You know, there's so so many different sides of uh, a culture and a civilization and, and so forth. Uh, but I will say some, something good about Brazil regarding this topic uh, is they are very like they're about 10 to 20 years behind the United States with technology and, and business practices and different things. But in some ways, the simplicity uh, is is an, is an advantage sometimes. Uh, for example, people dealing with cash instead of with credit cards and, and, and different things. Or, or uh, for example, I went to church on Sunday and it was a little, just like a house, basically, a storefront kind of church. And, and I noticed when I was driving through the neighborhood there and back that there were dozens and dozens of other neighborhood churches just like the one that I went to and everyone was doing it and everyone was socializing and everyone was talking and everyone was walking there together and it's just something I've never seen in the United States. In the United States what I've seen uh, unfortunately is uh, a bunch of elderly people going to a a beautiful old building Uh, and, and I've never seen uh, hundreds or thousands of people going to these little tiny churches all, all at the same time. It's an interesting thing. My brother-in-law owns a, uh, a brick factory, and in the U.S., only millionaires and billionaires own brick factories. And he just has uh, like a barn with a machine, and he gets sand, and he puts it together, and he makes bricks. And, and in Brazil, they make and do everything in their communities in a way that we've offshored in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm seeing bizarre. resilience from a different angle down here. Yeah. And then what you're seeing is 
you're seeing a community that's that's self-reliant, right? And that's that's the whole point of, of sphere of influence and line of sight is go see the things that you can tangibly touch and then yeah. build a community so you can be self-reliant. That's that's and it's it goes back to the big R rights that God gave us that we're not going to give up, right? And the the Brazilians, you know, the one thing I like about um, South America in general is the sense of community there, right? They they do have a strong sense of community. You can technology aside, we don't need technology to be a good community. We don't need technology to be a good civilization. What we need is a good cultural base and a moral compass, and then we can be a great society. And getting back to those roots, getting back to that simplicity, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a massive right. revival of people returning to Christ and returning to, to Christianity because they realize that all these Luciferian messages are not what they want and they're not signed up for it. So you're going to see more of that over time. And well, you talked about the social fabric, the, the, the connections and trust you have with, with friends and, and uh, community members. And I can say that that does protect you a lot and it gives you access to these different resources and skills. And there's so many times here in Brazil as I've been building a house and I make a friend and we go to church together and then uh, they recommend a contractor to work on the project and uh, maybe they take advantage of me. And then I go back to the person and say, hey, you rec- recommended this person and then they took advantage of me and then they do an intervention. And like, there's just all these protective mechanisms when you go through your, your community network to, to protect honest people. Uh, that's what a tribe's all about, right? And you like, you keep the good people in and you get the bad people out. Yeah. And the other side of that that you're seeing too, is that the only thing they have down there is their reputation. So yeah. if their reputation's tarnished, it prevents any future referrals or work. And there's, there's power in that too, right? So it's, it's just as strong as social media or Yelp, review, but it's all real time. So yeah, it's especially true where I live, where, where it's, uh, you know, pretty small town and uh, everyone works and knows each other and has heard of each other and gossips and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what you're describing is that our world could or would get smaller uh, here and, and that uh, it's going to matter more about your personal reputation in your own community than your your national or international reputation on social media with a bunch of strangers. Yeah. He, the, the, think about how much time people spend on a persona that isn't real. And I'm I'm just trying to give people the, the food for thought that what's more important is the persona that is real, the persona that people know that they can viscerally touch. That's way more important right now than anything yeah. else you can do. So that's there's more. a, there's, an, there's a, a writer named Charles Eisenstein, and uh, I w- he wrote a book called Sacred Economics, and I went to a talk where, where he was talking about it. And, and I remember at the time, it was a long time ago before all this stuff was happening, but he was talking about uh, the central banking system being a scam, and I was worried about hyperinflation, about the whole system collapsing. And I just said, like, if this whole system is going to collapse, like, what should we do with our money? And he just said, give to people in your community, invest in those relationships and they will reciprocate to you. And that is real wealth. And, and uh, I have to say that that statement really stood the test of time. It's been like 10 years uh, since he said that. But now I, fr- I truly believe that, that, that if someone has a need and you're able to, to fulfill it with your skills and your talent and, and what you have at that moment, 
then they will reciprocate that when you have a need for their skills and all, all of that. Mm -hmm. And that that's, that's the power of community, right? Because it's, it's, you get away from the material and you focus on what's real and you focus on relationships and those relationships are what help you get through the, the, the tough times, right? That's, that's what carried us through two world wars. And that's who we, that's, that's who we are. That's what we are. It's just, we've taken that out of our school systems. We've taken that civics lesson out of all of our history books and people have forgotten that it's not the individual that made us great. It's the collective with a higher purpose. Everybody has a higher purpose and a, and a sense of selfless service. If you go back and you look at World War II, people were killing themselves because they couldn't go fight for the country. Imagine that today. We, you would never get that, right? And it's because they had this strong sense of duty, this, this yeah. belief morally that we were on the high ground. Where'd yeah. that go? I can tell you where it went. It was taken well, out of the school system. You were talking about a spiritual revival. I think there is a revival of people realizing that there is good and evil and there's a moral revival. There's kind of a political revival going on where people are saying, you know what, I'm on the side of freedom, not the side of tyranny. Uh, I'm on the side of, uh, you know, for example, education. I'm in the side of uh, school choice, not having, you know, this woke ideology and stuff pushed on my kids. Uh, and so people, people are starting to get that kind of sense of duty to engage and, and to help, uh, help their community and, and their just change the system that they know and they can see it's so overt now. It's so yeah. explicit that this tyranny. Um, so, you know, we're wrapping up here, Steve, where can people go to connect with you and follow your situation updates and so forth? I'm super easy to find. It's Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Murray on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Rumble, um, Telegram, same same name for the for the channel. You can find me on a variety of platforms. But uh, I post um, sit reps three three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on uh, Rumble and Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. So you can find me there. Great, yeah, it's at LTC Stephen Murray on everything. So connect with. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Steve Murray. He's he's an awesome guy. Thank you so much, Steve. Really, uh, really appreciate your time, your insights. Uh, it's funny because I don't know whether you're you're positive or negative here. You're like the shit's gonna hit the fan. Everything's gonna get worse, but we're gonna win. So you know, it's it's kind of both at the same time. Uh, so yep. God bless you and everybody. You can access this for the first twenty four hours on locals, and then it'll go public to everyone. So uh, God bless all you patriots. We we'll see you next time.